0: I the fact that this ministry could not happen without so many people that are invested in the lives of our young people, and we are extremely thankful for all the work that they do in pouring into our kids. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9 this morning, Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 14, so I want to invite you to turn there. Parents, have you ever been have you ever been out? Maybe on, on, on a date, maybe you went out on, on date night, or uh, you went out for some reason, and you came home to find the kids engaged in some kind of an epic struggle of sorts, right? And instantly, they start telling on each other, right? And, and then it's like this game of, well, he did this, well, yeah, but she did this, and they just start telling, no, your kids don't do that. Mine don't either, I've heard that some people's kids do that, but... I thought maybe you would understand. No, we, we know what it's like, right, to, uh, we, we understand that our, our kids, they sometimes when we're gone, the, the, the old phrase of when the cat's away, the mice will play, that's right. I mean, sometimes the kids, they, they don't act the way that we want them to when we're not around to supervise. Let's just put it that way, right? What's interesting about this text that we're going to study this morning is we have just come from a moment of transfiguration, which is maybe in many ways we could say it's about as glorious as it gets on earth, right? The disciples that were with Jesus on the mountain saw this radiant brightness, that his clothes became white, it said, with a a white that nothing on earth could bleach, right? I mean, the, the idea was there was this radiant brilliance about Jesus that the disciples beheld with him there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then now, as they come down the mountain, back into the valley, back into real life, Jesus walks into a mess. And as soon as the disciples see him and the crowd that have gathered around them see him, they run to Jesus and they start telling on each other. So parents, if you've ever felt like you came home and it's like while you were gone, like things just blew up and World War III happened and and you're left dealing with the fallout, Jesus knows what it was like, right? He dealt with a little bit of that. But can I make this point too about this text that we're going to study this morning? That in many ways, this, this is something I think that should, that should encourage us when we, when we understand this. That after every mountaintop in life, there's going to be a valley. And, and maybe if you feel like life just seems like an endless, an endless parade of the mountains and the valleys, the ups and downs, the highs and lows. Can I encourage you? Jesus had the mountaintop. And the valley experiences as well. And in fact, if you would say that last week what we saw was a mountaintop experience, literally, but also figuratively as well, right? The glory of God, just a glimpse of that glory on display for the disciples to see. We could say maybe in many ways, this is, this is the, the peak of the, of the valley, in, uh, so to speak, that we see in the text today. And why does that encourage us when we think about the mountains and the valleys and the differences? It encourages us in this way, that just like we go through those ups and downs, we see that Jesus experienced that as well. And in this case, what we see is that Jesus chose to leave the mountain in the presence of God that he might descend into the valley to be with those who needed him. What does that tell us? What does that teach us? That even though he could choose to remain on high, separate from us, distanced from us, in in his royal place, his deserved place in the heights of heaven, God chooses to step into the valley with us so that we'll never be alone at our low points. And and that's such a beautiful picture of God's love for us in in a way that we we see it quite literally here as Jesus comes down from the mountain and walks into this situation. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, "O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. So oftentimes, when we read a passage like this, we're amazed at the the miraculous thing that Jesus has done. Jesus has performed a, a miracle here, on par with with the greatest healings we, we've ever seen, right? And he's taken this 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 spirit inside of this young boy, and he's this young man, I should say, and he's cast out this spirit, this spirit that would torment him and throw him into the fire and into water, this spirit which caused him such great harm, and he's cast this spirit out of him, healing him, setting him free, delivering him from a lifetime of bondage and oppression. And yet, the point of this passage is not about Jesus healing the boy, Rather, it's for us to see that in healing this boy, Jesus is demonstrating how we are to live by faith and the role that our prayers and petitions are to play in relationship to the will of the Father. So we could say this. The the main purpose of this text is ultimately about, it's about the relationship between faith and prayer. I want you to compare the, the confession of faith that the Father makes here with the confession of faith of Peter in the last chapter. We saw in chapter 8 verse 29, Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? And the disciples answered him, and then he asked, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter's answer in chapter 8 verse 29 was, you are the Christ. You are the chosen one. And yet it was that same Peter who... Um, uh, Mere verses later, we find him on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And the same Peter who at one point says, you are the Christ, now demonstrates there on the mountain with Jesus that he totally has no idea what's happening. He, he doesn't get what God is doing. We talked about that last week in, in the sermon in, in our study of those first few verses in Mark chapter 9. Interestingly, here we have a father who brings his son to Jesus for healing. And the father acknowledges before Jesus the the weakness of his faith. If we might say it this way, the inadequacy that he feels toward faith. And yet he cries out to Jesus, help my unbelief. What does Jesus say to him? Jesus says to him, if you can, right? Right. Because the father says, if you can do anything. And Jesus answers, as if to say somewhat sarcastically, if I can. Yeah, I think I can. Right? No, of course I can. And he casts the spirit out of the young man. The relationship here between faith and prayer is important. But it's also important that we see that in, in, in understanding all of this, the role that Jesus' own disciples had to play in this. Because what we find is that these same disciples who at previous points were empowered by Jesus to do the miraculous, the same disciples that were able to go and and, and heal and cast out demons and 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 preach the good news of the gospel in towns and villages everywhere these same disciples who came back to Jesus and reported to Jesus Jesus when we did these things in your name amazing things happened. these same disciples now struggle to cast this demon out of this young man and and they questioned Jesus privately why could we not do this Jesus why were we unable to do this And Jesus' answer to them was, this kind of spirit, this kind of thing can only be done, driven out is the word he says. This kind can be driven out by anything but prayer. And so Jesus is even saying to his disciples, listen, if you're trying to do this in your own strength and your own power, if you're trying to do this with the faith that you have, apart from trusting in the work of God, it'll never be enough. So what are we to do with all of this? How, how, how do we make sense of this? Because on the one hand, you have the disciples who had a front row seat to the great works of Jesus and in many ways, themselves had been participants in the miraculous, empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit. And you have this father who confesses to the inadequacy even of his own faith. In fact, in the other, in the other tellings of this same Story in the other Gospels, particularly in Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, in describing this same story, this same situation, Matthew tells us that this is where Jesus said to his disciples that if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, move, and it would move. And so... What are we to do? How are we to make sense of the relationship here between our faith, and and how are we to understand how we are to have more faith when we lack faith? What are we to do when we feel like this father who cries out, Jesus, I have faith, but help me, help my unbelief, help me in the weakness of my faith? Well, as we as we look through the. The notes for this morning that I've prepared for you. I think hopefully I can try to make sense of this and and, and bring some some connection to the the different points along the the lines of, of our many questions that are raised as we read through this passage. The father in this story recognizes his lack of faith, right? And so he cries out to Jesus, help my unbelief. This raises an interesting question for us. How do we get more faith? If you recognize that you don't have a, a lot of faith, maybe you're here today, and you can identify. Maybe you would say, "You know, that's me." In many ways, like, I recognize there is a there is a weakness to my faith. I don't feel like I have enough faith. How do you, how do I get more faith? Well, let's let's use this text as the and maybe we could say as the the the, the lens through which we answer these questions or we view the answers to these questions of how do we grow our faith. And importantly, what we'll see is the significance of the role that prayer plays in deepening our faith and our dependence upon the work of God. So I've given you four points here, four things that we we can see in this text, four things that will help us to deepen our faith, the first one is this. Acknowledge your need for faith. I mean, just admit it. Just as the Father does here when he says, help my, help my unbelief. I don't have enough faith in you. Jesus, help me. If you find yourself feeling like, I, I don't have enough faith, I would encourage you, acknowledge your need for faith. Pride always keeps us from operating in genuine faith, right? When, when, when we have pride and we, and we won't acknowledge maybe the, the weakness of our faith, that pride always stands in the way of what God wants to do in our lives. Pride in ourselves. Pride that, that causes us to rely upon ourselves rather than re- relying upon the work of God. That sort of pride will always be a hindrance to our faith. And so we need to acknowledge our need for faith. Secondly, we ask God to give us faith. So on the one hand, we acknowledge, God, my faith is weak. God, my, I find myself, I feel like I don't have enough faith. I find myself feeling powerless in many ways. I find myself feeling like, like I'm inadequate and not enough that's, that's acknowledging that need for faith before God. And then secondly and importantly, ask God for more faith. The passage that I read from Matthew chapter 7 gives us some, some very clear and simple instructions from the mouth of Jesus himself on how we are to petition God. Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. If you you recognize that your faith is inadequate, that that you need faith, then ask God to give you faith. Third, and this is important, because for many of us, this is where the wheels come off a little bit. Accept the circumstances that God uses to grow your faith. See, a lot of people recognize their lack of faith they ask God for more faith and then when a crisis comes in their life they run do you see the problem with that could it be that God is going to use the crisis that you face those circumstances in your life that that is the training ground where we are to gain greater faith in the study, in the sort of the, the classic, I refer to it anyway as a classic, the great study experiencing God, Henry Blackaby refers to crises of faith, right? Crises, crises, however you make that word plural. In our lives, we face these moments where our faith is tested. In those circumstances, when we face those, those, those tests, the, the proving ground of sorts, we have a choice to make. Either we will trust God and lean into him, or we will doubt God and we will pull back. Those opportunities, those moments, those, those crisis points that we face, those are the moments in which our faith is deepened by drawing near to God, by pressing into him, in the midst of crisis, not pulling away. And so oftentimes, we ask God for faith, and then the crisis happens, and we run. And we wonder why our faith hasn't grown. And I think God would say to us, but i sent you these opportunities. i put you in these situations to grow your faith, and, and you ran from it. So accept the circumstances that God uses to grow your faith. And then fourth, and this becomes the the springboard now where we connect with prayer, which is at the heart of this passage. That we would align our will with God in prayer. So we acknowledge our need for faith. We ask God to give us faith. We accept the circumstances that God uses to grow our faith. And then we align our will with God in prayer. The miracle that Jesus performs in this passage in Mark chapter 9 is significant, but it underlies the importance, the main idea of the text. See, the the miracle is the means, not the end. Yes, Jesus does a miraculous thing in healing this young man, but the, the point isn't, it would be wrong for us to read this text and say, uh, you know, the, the lesson that we learn here is that we, that we come to Jesus and we ask him and he's going to heal us of all of our problems as well. Because that's just not the teaching. That is not the point of the passage. It is not that you can bring any problem you have to Jesus and if you pray and ask, he's just going to take it away, right? He's going to heal you of all your problems. Now, there are some who might preach this text in that way, but I would just caution you. Be careful of anyone who preaches that faith means that there won't be any problems in your life. Instead, the point of this text is that we would draw near to God in prayer, that we would seek Him in prayer, that we would pursue His will and His work in us through prayer, and that we would walk by faith as we pray to Him. That's why Jesus says this sort of thing can only be driven out. By prayer. Now, let me give you, for those of you who maybe noticed the footnote there, let me let me chase a rabbit with you for just a moment, and then we're going to come back to this. But I think this is a rabbit worth chasing. Uh, I want to I want to just take the the message, if I can, for just a moment, and let's let's call time out. I want to set it on hold, and we're going to pick up in just a moment. But I want to draw your attention to something significant here as well, because. I think this is worthy of our consideration today, too. Notice the, notice the note, the, the footnote, connected to verse 29. It says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And then, if you follow that footnote, it's going to say that some manuscripts add and fasting. And so if you, maybe if you learned this or are familiar with this, perhaps even this morning if you're looking on in the King James Version of this, you're going to read that this kind can only come out through prayer and fasting. And yet here it doesn't say anything about fasting. They only reference that in the footnote. Why is that? Well, the reason is because the oldest and most reliable Greek manuscripts of this text don't include the word and the words and fasting at some point along the way that was added into the text we don't believe that it was a part of the original gospel that mark wrote but at some point that was it was added to the text but when they when they translated the the king james scripture they were working from a manuscript that we would call today the textus receptus it was It was a Latin translation of a Greek text, the Latin Vulgate, which is what the Latin text was called, and then they translated that into English. So the King James wasn't translated from Greek and Hebrew. The King James was translated originally from the Latin, from the Catholic Church, from from the Latin text. Later on, as the work of of archaeologists and, and biblical scholars continues, we have found Older and more reliable manuscripts. Why do I use those words? Older, because they're older, because they date earlier. More reliable, because the fact that they are older and the fact that there are more versions of these older texts means that in all likelihood, they, they are, they are the, the more accurate reflection of what Mark actually wrote. You understand, we don't, we don't have in our possession any of what we would call the original autographs that means when mark sat down and wrote this out by hand we don't have that original word what we have are copies and copies of copies and did you know that one of the one of the many reasons why we can trust in and rely upon the biblical text as we have it is because of the variations that exist you may say wait a second So you're saying that the differences and the variations should give us more confidence? Yes, and here's why. Because if you were seeking to stamp out all disagreement, if if what you really were trying to do was remove any possibility of any question, uh, of anyone disagreeing or pointing to any variances in the text at all, you would pick one version and you would destroy all other versions of a text. Did you know that's actually what Muslims have done with their Quran and and other uh, sacred texts as well? But in the New Testament, we find several thousand, hear that, several thousand variations amongst the old biblical manuscripts that we have. And that actually is one of the reasons why we can trust in the text because it proves to us that as we sort through these variations and these and these differences in the text, it proves to us that, as this has been copied and recopied and transmitted over time there's reliability that that, that people have not come along and just tried to make this stuff up that they haven't tried to they haven't tried to unduly influence the text by picking one version and 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 stamping out anything else that that might vary from that in any way. And so in the world of what's called textual criticism, that actually gives us some some more reliable proof that, in fact, this biblical text can be trusted because we have some of the variations. Now, interestingly as well, and then we'll get back into the main point of the sermon, if you were to study these few thousand variances in not one of them, not a single one, one of these variances is the heart of the gospel, the message of Christ. Does it hang in the balance in any way? There are things like this, word order, things like this can only be driven out by prayer and fasting. Now that's significant. I don't want to say that's insignificant in any way, adding the words and fasting here. But does that in any way change the core doctrine of our faith? Does that in any way give us reason to doubt or have suspicion about the promise of faith through trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? No. And if you were to study these variations amongst the the biblical text, you'll find that in not one of them does the gospel hang in balance in question in any way. Now, okay, I, I wanted to point that out because... Some people catch those kinds of things, and you might be thinking, why is that? And now back to your regularly scheduled program, right? Because what we have here is Jesus talking about prayer and the significance of prayer when it comes to searching for more faith, seeking God's will by faith. And so I want to talk for a moment about prayer and what this text highlights for us when we seek to as I've said already, align our will with God in prayer. The first thing is this, is that prayer proves our need for faith. If you, were to, if you were to go in my office and pull a book off of my shelf, you'll find that in books that I read, I highlight, I underline, I mark the books that I have up. Some people can't stand that, and that's okay, but I'm one of those people that in any book that I'm reading, I'm underlining, I'm making notes, I'm highlighting things always. I'm marking up books because I want to be able to go back later and, and see what spoke to me and, 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 and hold on to some of those, those notes, those highlights along the way. Well, one of the things that prayer does is that prayer acts like a highlighter in our lives, highlighting all the places where we need faith, marking up our lives, so to speak. When we when we get on our knees before God in prayer, and our prayers highlight for us the many ways in which we need faith, that, that, that our lives lack faith. And so prayer proves our need for faith. Did the disciples need faith here? Yes, clearly they did, because on their own, they couldn't cast the demon out of this young man. And so Jesus says this can only be done by faith. Prayer proves the need for faith. Secondly, Prayer often precedes the blessing of faith. Now, I say often because there are moments in life where the Holy Spirit will fill us even when we don't ask God for, for greater faith. There are moments in life where the Holy Spirit will fill us and we will find our, his presence at work in us to accomplish his will. And we stand back and, we, and we just, all we can do is be amazed at the ways that God works in those moments. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where maybe someone asked you a question about your Christian faith, and you found yourself reciting scriptures to them or offering answers to them, and later when you reflected back on that, you thought, I didn't even know that I knew that, right? Have you ever been in a situation like that? What was happening in that moment? The Holy Spirit was working in you to bring to mind, to recall things that maybe you didn't even realize were tucked away in your brain somewhere. There are moments when the Holy Spirit will work in accordance with His will, just, as, just in, in, in a moment, in an instant. But most often we find that God's movement in our lives and the filling of the Spirit are in direct proportion to our willingness to seek it in prayer. And so in James chapter 4, verse 2, James writes, You do not have... Because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Most often, prayer precedes the blessings of faith. And what I mean by that is that God will work in our lives in accordance with our petitions. That he will move as we seek him and seek his will in prayer. There are times when he doesn't. There are times when he just works to accomplish his will in us. But most often, prayer precedes the blessing of faith. Third, prayer positions us to live by faith. In other words, prayer puts us in the place that God wants us to be so that we can have greater faith. Prayer positions us to live By faith. I think it's important that that we wrestle with this. Because, as I've already said, that we should align ourselves with the will of God in prayer. We understand that one of the primary functions of prayer is not to just get God to give us everything that we ask of Him. But rather, it's to bring us into alignment with His will and His purpose. One of the reasons that we pray is because as we wrestle in prayer... God shows us the ways that we need to change. Prayer changes us. You will hear me say, you've heard me teach this before, this very idea, that there's no such thing as an unanswered prayer for the child of God. There's no such thing as an unanswered prayer for the child of God. Now, God does not always answer prayer the way that we want, because no is an answer too, right? Maybe God's saying no to your prayers. Maybe he's saying, not now. Maybe what the Lord is saying is, but first, I want to do this, right? But those are all answers to our prayers. And sometimes, when we pray and ask according to the Father's will, the answer is yes. In his great book on prayer, I would highly recommend Tim Keller's book, that's just called Prayer. We have a group of men who've studied through that book before. I know Doug has led a study on that book and, and others have studied it as well. It's a great book. It's just called Prayer by Tim Keller. And in his book, Keller says this. This is, this is awesome. And you should, uh, if you've got that book, go look this up. It's on page 228 in the book. God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked. If we knew everything, he knows. See, God will not give you something that will harm you or hurt you. God will not do a work in your life that is not good. And so when we pray and we ask God for things that are not good, God may answer us and say no. Keller points out that John Calvin says it this way. God grants our prayer... Even if he does not always respond to the exact form of our request, even when he does not comply with our wishes, he still is attentive and kindly to our prayers so that hope relying upon his word will never disappoint us. So when we pray, we can trust. God will either give us what we ask or he would give us what we would ask if we knew what he knows. And so prayer aligns our will with him. Prayer changes us. Prayer moves us. Because when we pray and we seek God in prayer, we, we recognize the ways that he wants to work and, and the ways that that work may require change on our part. So prayer positions us to live by faith. And then importantly, fourthly, this. Prayer prompts the exercise of faith. How many of you have ever decided that you were going to start working out? You you needed to get back into the gym. You needed to start working out. And so you hired a trainer or you joined a gym because you knew that unless you did something like that, you were not going to work out. There was some accountability, right? I'm paying all this money for this trainer. I better go. Or I paid all this money to join the gym. I need to, I need to get up and, and get there so that I'm not wasting my money. Now, some of you may say, that's why I would never join a gym, right? But I know I'm not alone. There are others who, right, you join the gym, you get a trainer, you start doing that because you know there's going to be some accountability that joining the gym, so to speak, it prompts you to work out because you're thinking, man, I'm paying all this money. I better go use it. Well, hear me. Prayer prompts a a sort of spiritual exercise of our faith. That when we pray, we begin to, the wheels begin to move. Our, our, Our spiritual bodies are put into motion when we pray. And God begins to work in us. And it prompts us to live, to exercise our faith, to live by faith. And if that is true, which I believe that it is, then we need to consider the opposite as well. And that is this, that prayerlessness leads to powerlessness in the life of a believer. Prayerlessness leads to powerlessness. You want to experience the power of God at work in you? It will not come except through prayer. You need to pray. You need to align your will with God in prayer. Acknowledge your need for faith. Ask God for more faith. Accept the circumstances that God brings to grow your faith. Align your will with God in prayer. Because prayer prompts the exercise of our faith. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, a time of response to all of this this morning. Maybe you're here today and and, and you're hearing this and you're wrestling and and you're, you're thinking to yourself, but Wait a second, it, it seems as if God doesn't answer my prayers. Like when I, I like I pray and I petition God, but it seems as though God isn't answering my prayers. Then I want to I want to challenge you with a few things that, that I want you to consider. And I'm gonna run through this list quickly. The first thing that I want you to consider, if it seems like God never answers my prayers, the first thing I want you to consider is this are you his child? Are you his child? Have you trusted in him by faith? God is under no obligation to listen to our prayers or to answer us if we are not his children. Let me say that again so that you don't miss that. God is under no obligation to listen to the prayers of those who have chosen not to believe in him. And so if it seems like God isn't answering your prayers... One thing I would encourage you to consider is, are you his child? And if you are, then secondly, I I want you to consider this question. Are you praying for the right things? Are you praying for the right things? James chapter 4 verse 3 tells us that you do not have because you ask wrongly. In other words... James tells us, God's not giving you what you want because you're asking for the wrong things. And you need to recognize that God is not going to give you something that is not good. And so you need to ask yourself the question, am am I praying for the right things? Am I praying according to the will of the Father? Am I praying that his work would be done? Am I praying for the right things? And then third, I would encourage you with, with this. Perhaps is God saying no? Could it be that God is answering your prayer and the answer to your prayer is just no? And if that's the case, let me ask a a redirect, a follow-up. Would you be willing to trust him anyway? Accept the circumstances that God uses to grow your faith drawn near to Him in those moments? Like the Father here. Lord, I have faith, but I need more. Help me. Help me in my unbelief. Help me in my lack of faith. Would you be willing to trust Him? I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. As we enter into this time of response, this time of invitation today, I want to call us to pray. The, the, the response before God... The response of our hearts today would be to cry out to him in prayer, recognizing the the weakness in our faith, recognizing our utter need for him, asking God to move and to align our hearts according to his purpose and his will. God, would you so move in our hearts today that we would... That we would experience your power at work in our lives. Lord, in those, in those, those moments, in those places where we ask for the wrong things, God, through the prompting of your Holy Spirit, redirect us. Move us, reposition us so that we would that we would be in the place that you want us to be. Lord, show us through the conviction of your Holy Spirit, show us the ways that we need to change that our lives might honor you. And Lord, in the ways that you desire to, to work as we, as we seek you, the ways that you desire to work in, in proportion to our willingness to seek and petition your will, we pray, God, that you would continue and Lord, we recognize at times our faith seems inadequate, but we trust in the word that you shared with your disciples, that if we had faith the size of a mustard seed, we could move mountains. Lord, take even the seemingly insignificance of our faith, and, and Lord, through the power of your work in us, Lord, move mountains in our lives so that we might see the, the world around us moved for the glory of Christ. Do your work in us and through us as we pray and we seek your face, God. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. This morning as we respond to the Lord in, in this time of invitation.